Research shows that keeping a secret raises the body's production of stress hormones. It was a secret that tormented Michael Mack. It also led him on a journey to find forgiveness. And this podcast will take you on that journey. You're listening to Conversations with His Molester, a documentary podcast series from Capital Broadcasting Company. I'm documentary producer Clay Johnson. This four-part series is a companion to the WREL documentary, Speaking the Unspeakable. We'll tell you more about that at the end of this episode. I'm going to start with a warning. This is a story about child sexual abuse, so it's not suitable for children. You did what he said, waiting for the end. And a million years later, it came. That's from a play Michael Mack penned and performs called Conversations with My Molester, A Journey of Faith. It tells the story of him being sexually abused by his Catholic priest in Brevard, North Carolina, when he was 11. Michael uses the fictional name Father Gordon for the priest to protect his family and friends. I made a promise that I would keep that secret, and so I did. That secret was like a cancer on Michael's soul. Decades after the fact, I told my brother what happened in Brevard. He asked one question. What effects did it have on you? Effects of this secret? The biggest lie of my life? The one I told longest, telling nothing. A secret binding me to someone I never talked to, never saw, but who lived and breathed in my memory. One effect of the secret revealed itself to Michael the summer before his senior year in high school. He got a job as a counselor at a camp for boys. Michael saw something he recognized in one of them. An unhappy eight-year-old, curly red hair, freckles on tear-damp cheeks, mouth in perpetual pout. And then I had this impulse to invite him into my room and we started talking and so I invited him to sit on the bed next to me. You lean closer, his hair a drift of baby shampoo, your face so close to the heat of his cheek you smell his breath, like apples. And this idea started forming in my mind about using him in some way. And at first it was kind of unconscious. I was acting on some kind of impulse and I didn't know where it was coming from. But as we were talking, it became clear to me that I was reenacting something that happened to me years before. And I was able to make the connection fortunately, in that moment that I was beginning to act out with that little boy the way that my perpetrator had acted out with me. But I thank God for the fact that before anything happened, I recognized where this was going and I backed away. And it never happened with him or with any child, but I recognize that impulse. 
Father Gordon planted that impulse in Michael when he sexually abused him as a child. Keeping that secret manifested itself in isolation, depression, and substance abuse. Michael eventually found healing in talking to therapists, family, and friends. But his talking didn't answer his questions. Only one person could do that, Father Gordon. Michael couldn't remember the father's real name, so he called the Archdiocese of Western North Carolina and got a name he thought might be the one. He searched that name online and found a priest who had been sued by two other victims, including one in North Carolina. And learning that his M.O. for getting that child uh, to comply was the same M.O. as for me, that he invited him to help him make a costume for a religious play. And as soon as I read that in the article, I knew that that was him. In his research, Michael also discovered that Father Gordon had done some prison time and had been defrocked by the church. He also found out that Father Gordon was living only 40 miles away from him in Worcester, Massachusetts. After all this time, all this distance, he's here. It's like a miracle. The hand of God points to Worcester. I will have this conversation. This conversation was meant to be. Michael found Father Gordon's telephone number and decided to call him. I pick up the phone and make the call. I hear a man's voice say, hello. In that word, I hear a mouthful. I lost heart and I hung up. I said, sorry, wrong number, and I hung up. Michael decided to write Father Gordon a letter instead. I wanted to make it clear in the letter that I uh, was not holding anything against him, that it would just be really meaningful to me to have a conversation with him about what happened. So I signed it, sealed it. It was in an envelope, it was sitting on my mantelpiece. All I needed to do was to drop it in the mailbox. Days went by, weeks went by, and I'm noticing I'm not putting the letter in the mailbox. Michael decided to drive to Wooster and deliver the letter in person. He rang the doorbell to Father Gordon's house, but there was no answer. I guess I could open the screen door and knock. Well, not too loud, don't want to seem pushy. Not too soft, don't want to seem like a pushover, an 11-year-old. But no one answered the door. Michael returned home and returned the letter to his mantle. It sat there for two more years. As Michael headed out for a long Thanksgiving weekend, he finally dropped the letter in the mail. Before leaving, he had entered Father Gordon's name in Google Alerts to monitor any news about him. When Michael returned, he found an email alert about Father Gordon. And I discovered to my amazement and really to my horror that he was just killed in a fire. And I can't believe it. I can't believe that this guy who I have had in my mind for all of these decades, this guy who I was intending to meet got this close to meeting uh, was now dead. I couldn't believe it. I could not believe it. Michael was so in doubt that he drove back to Father Gordon's house to see for himself. The upper windows like two scorched eyes. The bay window below. The black ragged mouth hacked out by a fireman's axe. Melted vinyl siding. A leprosy of dripping skin. Michael wondered if Father Gordon ever got his letter. 
he began knocking on doors and talking to Father Gordon's neighbors. What I'm learning about this guy is that in this community, which is something of a retirement community, is just how helpful he was, how friendly he was, um, that if you needed a ride, if you needed groceries, he was there to help. And so he really had a, a reputation, a, a good reputation in that community. Michael found out the place and time of Father Gordon's funeral mass and decided to go. It's been years since I've been at a Mass, and I am starting to experience those echoes of what was so meaningful to me when I was young. When time comes for communion, I get in line with everybody else to go up front and receive communion, and I have to pass by this photograph of Father Gordon. And I haven't seen his picture in 40 years. I haven't seen his image in 40 years except for the image in my mind. And what's so striking to me is that in that moment I see his face, it's like all of those 40 years just evaporated and I'm right back there with him. As a child, Michael wanted to be a priest. At the mass, he met several who knew Father Gordon. Suddenly, my dream is a boy of standing in a circle of priests. I'm in! At a reception after the Mass, Michael met Father Gordon's best friend, Father Al, who had presided over the service. Michael and Father Al talked about Father Gordon, and other things too, like travel and cars. They seemed to hit it off. But when Al makes a point, he touches my arm, or my wrist, my hand. It's both creepy and thrilling. I am on the inside. Father Al invited Michael to have lunch with him sometime. Michael took him up on the invitation. It wouldn't be the conversation he wanted to have with Father Gordon, but perhaps it would be the next best thing. In our next episode, how Michael reveals his secret to Father Al at that lunch and the strange response that followed. We also follow Michael back to where he was sexually abused in Brevard back to his past and to his future. This podcast was produced by Capital Broadcasting Company and edited by Jay Jennings. We thank Michael Mack for giving us permission to use excerpts from his play to help tell his story. We hope you'll join us for episode three in the series, Conversations with His Molester. You can find it where you found this episode. Subscribe to get all four. And to see more of Michael's story and walk his journey of forgiveness with his stepbrother Knight, who was also a victim of child sexual abuse, watch the documentary Speaking the Unspeakable at WRALDocumentary.com. I'm WRAL documentary producer Clay Johnson. Thanks for listening. Mm -hmm.